Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you have been around uh, the area much at all, you've noticed that the fall colors this year seem to be exceptionally bright and, and uh, beautiful. And I have, we have driven around at different times and looked at them. It's a picture of Letchworth Park and the colors there. But one of the things I notice uh, when, when I think about seeing all these beautiful colors is it reminds me of how often I take creation for granted. I don't think that much about creation when it's not one of these settings where everything is in front of me and it's beautiful and it grabs my attention. A whole lot of the time, I'm thinking little, if at all, about creation. And we might think, well, you know, that's just what you do, that's the way it is. But I am convinced that there is something about taking creation for granted that is detrimental to our journey with Jesus. And I think it's not just about the journey, but it's about the joy of the journey. Because I believe that God has made this world and and it's important to Him. And all you have to do is look at Genesis chapter 1 and you see God creating and the importance of it. When, When Genesis describes God creating, one of the things that we don't pick up on in the passage, but you will if you compare it to other creation stories, is that God creates because He wants to. And I think it's one of the points that the writer of Genesis is making, is that on all the other creation stories, the, the, the earth and everything in it comes into existence either by accident or by punishment or because of some kind of battle between the gods. Something happens, but it is not intentional at all. But the biblical creation story says that God chose to create because God loves to create and because God wants relationship with His creation. And the other thing about the creation story is that what God creates is good. Over and over again, the the writer of Genesis tells us that God looks at what he's made and he says, it's good. And God saw that it was good, 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 and God saw that it was very good at the end of it. And there is an essence in which this idea of goodness, and some translations use the word beauty, that things of goodness and beauty are really kingdom characteristics. They are, they are the nature of God who does what is good, who loves what is beautiful, who creates what is beautiful and good. And that's why every time evil is present, it is something opposite from what is good and beautiful. When you see corruption taking place, you know evil is present. When you see damage being done, you know that evil is present. I think the image that comes to my mind most readily is from the Lord of the Rings and then the world of Mordor. This is where what evil does, it's a scorched earth. That's what it does. And in place of the flourishing of God, this is what you have. That kind of of goodness and beauty is a characteristic of God and His kingdom. And I think we often miss that. And we see it all around. It's one of the gifts of creation. And we ought to pay more attention to it because creation is probably more important than we realize. 
Now, I, get, I know that sometimes, sometimes Christians are a little hesitant to get too connected with creation because we fear people who, in our opinion, worship creation. And that is certainly the case of the nations around Israel. All the nations around Israel worship creation. You see it over and over and over again. And, and one of the, the things that God gets so concerned about with Israel is when they pick up those practices too. And, and somehow because of that, there is a sense in which the, the, our, our appreciation and our love of creation has become somewhat politicized. Matthew Sleeth tells of, of when he was, first became a Christian in his 40s. He were going to a church. They picked this church because it was teaching the Bible, and they loved that. And they were learning and growing, and he had always loved trees growing up. His father implanted that into him. And so he, he went to the pastor one day and said, hey, I would love to plant trees around the church. And the pastor's response was, you know, Matthew, you're sort of acting like a tree hugger. And we're uncomfortable with that. And he thought, am I? Really? Is that a bad thing? And so he said, I did a study of the scriptures. And what I found was interesting is that except for God and human beings, nothing is mentioned in scripture more than trees. And I think we, we become so worried about what we might do, we don't do what God is calling us to do. And that is to, to be engaged with his creation. And that's why, as we are on this journey, and we're thinking about how the road signs are helping us on the journey, that's why the road sign that came to my mind as I was thinking about this was a deer crossing. I don't know what you think about when you see a deer crossing sign, but quite frankly, what we ought to be thinking about is slow down. Have you noticed that virtually every sign we've been talking about calls us to slow down? There's something theological in that. There's something of God's word to us in that, that we need to slow down in order to be the people he's calling us to be and to experience joy in our journey with him. And the deer crossing sign is not just slowing down, but it's pay attention. Look around. You know, and it's being, be extra vigilant. When we drive from Buffalo or Rochester, especially if we're driving at night and we're coming back home, you know, we're always kind of looking for deer as best you can. But the minute you see a deer crossing sign, it's like we, we hyper look for deer. Because we know this is, this, we're in an area where they tend to run. And you want to pay attention to that. And I think what we see in the symbolism of this sign is God's word to pay attention to what he's made. And value it. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes we get our value system mixed up. When I was, when I was a child, our, we had a fenced-in backyard. It was a decent size. It was wonderful for playing wiffle ball because you had a fence over which you could hit the ball for a home run. And, but the bases, you know, was small, so all the bases were basically encompassing the whole yard. And second base was against the, the back fence, and right where second base should be was a rose bush. That was a real problem when you're sliding into second base. Or running into second base. And I can't tell you how many times I went to my mother and said, can we cut down the rose bush? It is messing with our baseball games. And she looks at me like, no, we're not cutting down the rose bush. What is wrong with you? It's great that you want to play baseball. Work around it. 
I love that rose bush. It's beautiful. As a child, I just had no concept of, of creation. All I was thinking about was what's in my best interest. And Bill Greenway in his book, For the Love of All Creatures, says that, that one of our problems is that we tend to view creation from an anthropocentric perspective instead of a theocentric perspective. And what that means is we view creation with us at the center of it. And, and we value creation and we think about creation only as it affects us. But a theocentric perspective puts God at the center of our view of creation. And we, and we begin to try to see what God has made from his perspective, not just from ours. And it changes things. And so when we come to Paul's passage in Romans 8, what we find is a fascinating thing. Is that Paul says, in the midst of Paul's, without a doubt, Paul's most theological thing he, as he writes, we find him talking about the theology of the world to come, of when Jesus reappears. And what he tells us, and this is reiterated in other places in Scripture, is that when Jesus returns, it's not about taking our souls and escaping to heaven and getting rid of this earth because it's, it's worthless and it's trashed and, and God can just destroy it. What he says is, when Jesus reappears and we are redeemed... God is redeeming all of creation, not just human beings. And so Paul writes, for all of creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. And against it, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Creation isn't a mess because of creation. It's a mess because of us. The minute Adam and Eve sinned, what does God say? Now, you were planting in the ground, and it worked really well. Now, it's going to fight back. And, and it's not creation's doing, it's our doing. And since, our, since what, happened to, what, we just, what happened to us created the problem for creation, what God is going to do for us is going to bring about a resolution for creation. And he says, with eager hope, N.T. Wright says, Creation is on tiptoe, waiting for Jesus to return. Because creation knows that when Jesus returns, it won't just be human beings that are redeemed. It will be all of creation that is redeemed, restored, and renewed. And God is not going to, to give up on the world he created and destroy it as if what he made really wasn't that great to begin with. And let's just start this all over again. No, when Revelation talks about the, that day, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And, and I don't think that means a, a new in terms of something different from what it was, but the restoration of what is. Something made new. Something that needs to be restored just as we need to be restored God isn't starting all over with us. He is redeeming us and restoring us. And Paul says, and you see this in Revelation as well, God is redeeming and restoring all of creation. And that ought to mean something to us. God is at work, not just in us, but in us and in all that he has made. And that means we think about it differently than we normally do. 
It matters to us. When I was thinking, think about the year of Jubilee. This is something God institutes right off the bat with Israel. And he says, every 50 years, you give the land a break. They actually do that every seven years. So technically, the 49th year is a break and the 50th year. So it's two years. But in the 50th year, you give the land a break. But the other thing that happens is all the land goes back to its original owner. Everything is restored back to the way it began. And it strikes me that, that there is a sense in which God is saying long, long time before Jesus comes onto the scene, when he, before he's born into the world, God is saying, this is what my world is going to be. It's going to be restored to what I always wanted it to be and created it to be. It's going to be made new. You're going to see it. As I restore you and redeem you, I'm going to do that for all of creation. Now, to be honest with you, there's a, there's a few animals that I'm scratching my head going, really? I mean, I'm not a big fan of snakes. In fact, I hate snakes. One of my favorite scenes in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, I resonate so much as when, when Indiana Jones looks down into the pit where the ark is and he rolls back over his back and says, why did it have to be snakes? That's me. That's exactly how I feel. And yet... Snakes are going to be redeemed. And the deer that eat our trees and plants are going to be redeemed. And the voles that are making tunnels in our backyard are going to be redeemed. All of these critters are going to be redeemed. All that God has made is going to be redeemed. Because God loves his creation. And it's good. And we get the opportunity to be to experience that as well. As we experience it, all of creation will experience it. I love how Isaiah describes the day when Jesus will return. He says, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. And in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together, and the leopard will lie down with the baby goat, and the calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them all. And the cow will graze near the bear, and the cub and the calf will lie down together. And the lion will eat hay like a cow, and the baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. God's going to redeem creation. Because we are connected as God's creatures. You know, I mentioned last week how sometimes it's astounding the things that are in Scripture when you consider all the things that are not, one of the things that surprises me in the creation story is that it tells us, we got three or four verses about Adam naming the animals. Why would we need to know that? There's so many other things I would love to know than to know that Adam named the animals. Well, for one thing, it says that after Adam names all the animals and they parade in front of him, God says there was not a suitable companion for him, one like him. But the other thing is, I think it tells us that God, that we are connected with God's creation. Because the minute you name something, you're connected to it. You bring home a stray cat or a stray dog, you can, you can give it away until you or one of your children names it. Once you name it, it's yours. It's just the way it is. Because now you've bonded to it and you've connected to it. And I think there was something about God saying to Adam, I want you to name these animals because I want you to be connected to creation. And we're connected to it. 
Now, it's not that we are the same, but we are all a part of what God has made. Bill Greenway goes on to say in his book, he says that the division of creation is not between human and non-human. It's between creation and its creator. That's where we really see things set apart. But there is a difference. And I know that this is one of the things that sort of ties us up. We think, well, you're saying that creation and human are, are all the same. No, there is a difference. And you see it in the creation story. You see it in what Paul says. Paul says creation is waiting for us to be redeemed so that then it will be redeemed. But in the creation story, God creates human beings to be stewards of creation. God creates human beings, he says, to rule over it, to subdue it, to have dominion over it. And people have interpreted that a whole variety of ways through the years. Some people have said, we have this power, we have this authority, and we can treat creation any way we want to. And that's part of the reason why we're in the mess that we're in in our world right now. But if we are created in the image of God then that means we should be image bearers of God, and that means we think like God and we act like God, and that would mean that we treat creation like God. And how does God treat His creation? He, tr- he create, treats His creation in love and compassion and selflessly. He gives Himself away to His creation. And I think you and I need to think about creation selflessly and lovingly and compassionately, not because we are worshiping creation, but because it is a gift of God and because he's given us the task of stewarding creation. And we take that seriously. It means something to us. We care about it, and we love it, and we treat creation the way God does. There's another one of those things that surprises me when I read Scripture, when I look at the law that God gives to Israel. It's amazing to me how many times God mentions how they treat animals in that law. It says that when God gives the command about Sabbath in the, in the, in the um, Ten Commandments. And in both times, in Exodus and Deuteronomy, God says, everyone in your household takes a Sabbath, and that includes your animals. There is another law that God says to them, don't muzzle an ox when you're treading the grain. What was happening is the, the ox, as it treaded the grain, it would eat some of the grain. And what it's doing, it's eating the prophets. It's eating some of our food. We don't want the ox to do that. And so they would muzzle the ox. And God says, don't do that. Be generous with your animals. They need nourishment too. Treat them well. And there is another one that's an oddity that says don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. Why in the world would that be there? And I don't know that I fully understand that. But one of the things I think that God is saying is don't be cruel to animals. Don't be cruel to them. Because God looks at the nations all around Israel and says... They have a reputation for being cruel. The Assyrians are known for their cruelty, and the Philistines are known for their cruelty, and the Babylonians are known for their cruelty. You're my people. You're not going to be known for your cruelty. And the reality is how they treat animals is a revelation 
of how they treat people and how they treat God. And I'm convinced the same thing is true with us. How we treat God's creation is a reflection of what we really think about who God is. How we treat God's creation is a reflection, quite frankly, of how we treat other people. Because if we treat creation selfishly, what would make us think that we won't treat people and God selfishly? But if we learn to treat creation selflessly, if we learn to see the connection that God has given us with all that he has made, then God can work in us to create in us a spirit of selflessness toward each other and toward him. It's kind of a litmus test. What if when we looked at a deer crossing sign, Instead of, our, instead of only thinking, I've got to protect myself, what if also in our thinking it was, I need to be careful about protecting the animals? How would that change our mindset? God gives Adam and Eve one command. Steward the earth. Take care of it. Because how they take care of the the earth is an act of worship to God. It's a means by which God continues to develop his spirit within them and and, and shaping them more and more into his image. And I am convinced that there is something about the way we treat what God has made that is a revelation of what, who God is to us. I don't know exactly what that will mean for you. I suspect we're all at different stages of what we think about this. But how different the world would be if all of us kept asking God, how do you want me to treat what you've made? Father, I pray that your grace and mercy would reveal to us the glory of your creation and the call that you've placed in our lives to steward it as you do. Thank you, Father, for all that you're doing. Thank you, Father, for for the glory of what you've made. Continue to shape us into your image. Through the grace of Christ we pray, amen.